what caused that to be a past tense truth. It was good. I invite you to join with me. Oh, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa. Sorry. I didn't think that was there, and now it is. If you can send me back one, that would be swell. Um, awesome. Today we're going to spend some time looking at the anatomy of the fall. Every pastor needs a good near-death story. When I was starting off in youth work and stuff, I did not have a good near-death story. But then, the year was 1998. The month was October. The season was salmon. Well, the season was salmon. And I was, let's see if we can get my slides working right here. Um, Hey, we're going to do it. There we go. The season was salmon, and I had the privilege of being at this beautiful spot. This is Tide Rock. The rock that sticks out there in the middle is Tide Rock on the Chetco River in southern Oregon. And the features of this river are such that the, the tide affects this part of the river, so during the day it goes up and down with the tide. The salmon like to come in on, that, on the outgoing tide, and as it gets low, by the time they get to this spot, the river is kind of getting to the point where there's not enough water for them to safely swim up, and there is a huge hole right in front of that rock, and they will congregate there in the masses, 300 fish swimming around in a circle that you can look down and see, and it is an amazing spot to catch salmon from the point of that rock. However, to get to the point of that rock, you park up on the, the road, which is somewhere about the middle of the hill there, and you have to walk down to this thing. And at one point, you have to use a tree limb and branch system to, as steps to get down. And maybe I've told this story here before, but I know I haven't done it with pictures. And so you have to use these tree limbs and roots as steps to get down to the next thing so you can come down out of the trees to get to that rock to find the best spot. To get the best spot, you have to show up at O Dark 30. And I'm not joking. You can't start fishing until an hour before sunrise. To get the spot you want, you get there an hour before that. So you get there two hours before sunrise in the cold October chill, but salmon. This was my first, actually first, I didn't even know that yet, because this was my first trip to go fishing for salmon the last day. And I was excited to go get the spot. I was eager to get the spot that I saw all the guys catch their salmon the day before, and I was like, I'm going to have that spot, and I'm going to get it. So the three of us, my, me and my two fishing buddies, show up, and we're unloading the truck in the, in the darkness, and my responsibility was the net. The net. That is correct. Not the fishing poles, not the bait, not anything of super importance, but the net. The net was mine. Um, and so I had that, and that was all, and I felt a little slighted, but it was like, okay, whatever, I'm going to leave now. And so I leave to walk down the path, and as I leave, I hear one last pearl of wisdom. Be careful. Don't fall. Well, I got to the place where the tree roots became the stairs, and I had spent the day before when I wasn't catching fish and needed a break from all that work, 
to go explore the rock and walk around on it. So I, I was pretty familiar with the rock and knew what was going on. And so I got to this spot. The, the place on this hill where you had to do that is right about in the middle where there's a little, I don't know if you can see the yellow branches, but somewhere in that area is where there was this little drop-off that you had to use. And as any near-death story goes, there has to be a near-death part to it. And I got to that system and very carefully put my foot down on the root and very confidently grabbed the branch. And as I looked up, the dark world began to pass before my eyes. As I was slip-sliding, falling down the side of this rock, now, I would like for you to take note of what is at the bottom of this. There is nothing receptive, nothing welcoming um, at the bottom of this rock. I fell down and smashed into one of those pointed rocks, which thankfully kept me out of the water. I stayed dry. However, smashing against the rock was not fun, but I did stay dry. And so I fell down that maybe 25 to 30 feet or so. I slid down the hill. As I was sliding down the hill, I had that moment where I thought, man, my life is flashing before my eyes. I wonder if I'm finally going to break a bone. I hope I don't cry too much. Um, don't let go of the net. You know, and all of these things go through my mind, and finally I come to a screeching halt when I bash my knee against the rock, the pointed rock that kept me out of the water. Um, lights come on across the river. Apparently I made some noise falling down. Um, the, the rock, uh, my friends started shouting, okay. I said, yes, I'm okay. They apparently weren't listening because they got more freaked out. I said, I'm fine, I'm fine. Finally, they got me and got me rescued out of there. And I went on to fish, and we'll leave the rest of the story for later. I will just sum it up by saying I did not catch a salmon on that trip. So Marlene, <laughs> simmer down your joy. Simmer down your joy. But that fall, if you will, had an anatomy to it. There were things that led up to it. I was out of my comfort zone. I'm from Kansas. There aren't a lot of rocks to be climbed on, certainly there. I was out of my comfort zone. I ignored guidance. I ignored saying, I've got this. I, don't, I know to be careful. I am not stupid. And I was envious. I was coveting that spot on the point of the rock where the angle is just right and the guys seem to just be hooking their fish um, because on this rock if it's fishing is good there can be 30 dudes with 30 fishing poles and it's not always a pleasant experience it's not always friendly but i was there and i wanted that spot but i was out of my comfort zone i ignored guidance and i was coveting i was envious selfish those three things, I think, are a common aspect of a lot of falls in life. And I think apply to the story that we heard Pastor Marlene talk about to the children, the story of Adam and Eve. And the day they made the choice, the inevitable decision that has plunged creation into not-so-good status. But I want to tell you, there is an antidote for temptation. And that's what, that's what we're going to be seeing today, because that's what this is about. And that antidote is this. Trust is the antidote for temptation. 
If you are looking to overcome temptation in your life, I'm here to tell you today that I believe trust is one of the main points, one of the main reasons, one of the main things that will help us get through and overcome. And so I invite you today to turn with me to this story. But first, I want to just bring up that scripture, that scripture found in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. That is the antidote. That is the antidote for the times when we are struggling or in in a moment of temptation. Trust is the antidote. So turn with me to the book of Genesis, the first chapter, and we will see these three these three anatomies of the fall that I talked about. Being out of your comfort zone or pushing your limits, ignoring guidance and being envious. envious. So Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We we kind of have to make a few assumptions about this story that just aren't explicitly laid out. One would be that since Adam isn't mentioned, that Eve is probably alone. Eve has probably gone off, I don't want to say wandered off, but has gone off, has left Adam's side, has left the company of two, has left her her partner, her support system, has left the company of Adam and is out exploring. She is pushing the limits at this moment. Because wherever it was that they were in the garden, I, we know it wasn't the middle where this tree had been planted. And she pushed the limits to get to near this spot, near enough that the tree stood out. I heard a story this week that I think is true of all children. But this story is about a young child a television, and a button. I will leave everybody nameless because it's not my child. I have no children to talk about. Um, So I have to talk about other people's children, but I will not name them. But we all know the story. Supply anything into that that you want. There is a button that you get near enough to that you've been told not to push, and now the one thing in your mind that you have to do or you will die is you have to push that button because you want to see what happens. We push the limits. We all know that the speed suggestion of 55 is just that. I have decided that given my bank account, I can afford to drive five miles over all speed suggestion. That is what I can afford to do. I, that's where my limit is, but I push it. I push the limits. I'm not like, no, 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 I'm going to stop and just drive 65 down 80. I feel like at that point I'm being a hazard. 
because all the other people out there are driving it super fast, and I just got to keep up. All right, so I'm just being a hazard. So I'm just trying not to do, but I want to push the limits. We, as humans, desire to push the limits, to see what's out there because we think there's something more. And Eve, on this day, the first moment of mistrust was she started to push the limits and ask herself the question, what is this tree really all about? The second thing, which is more obvious, is she starts talking with an animal. Um, it has a fascination to us, and it may start with the story I can, you know, Doolittle came out this weekend. Um, that is a movie of talking animals, of a person who can talk to animals. Um, I haven't seen this one, but I've seen the ones that have, countless ones that have come before it, of talking animals. We all want to have a talking animal in our life because it's fascinating. And Eve, I always wonder, what would you really do if you found a talking animal? If, I mean, if Mr. Ed was truly Mr. Ed, you know, kind of a thing. Um, if these animals could talk, you know, what would you really do? Would you run or would you say, that is strange and I have to see more? But she pushed the limits, not fleeing right there. She began to have a conversation with what appeared to be a serpent. Her trust was being eroded away. That was anatomy one of the fall, pushing the limits. Anatomy two of the fall was ignoring guidance. Verse two, as she begins the discussion with the serpent, she answers him back, and the Bible says, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, notice she doesn't name the tree, she just kind of says the thing over in that place. You know, it's, it's not reminding herself of this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She's saying, no, this tree in the middle. God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Eve, at this point, is beginning to take that next step in shifting her trust. Because she actually, we, we, we all know the servant, the, the servant, the serpent. We all know the serpent was misquoting scripture. Of course, no loving God would say, here, be in this beautiful garden and eat nothing. You must starve. No, no God is going to say that. No loving creator is going to say that. It's absurd. It's, abs it's, it's just crazy. And she's like, no, 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 no. We can eat of all the trees except for this one which God said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. My question to you, is that what God said? That is not what God said. Eve begins to misrepresent God. She is misquoting scripture. If, you just, if you're flying along in your Bibles, six, seven verses before this, in chapter 2, verse 17, here's the command. But of every tree... But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Eve ignores the guidance and begins to create boundaries. She creates more boundaries than are necessary. Now, there, there's, we can speculate a little bit as to why this was. Eve, if you follow the chronological telling of the story, which the Bible's not always chronological, but if you just kind of track the chronology of this story, when this command is given, Eve is not yet created. When God gives the command, do not eat of the tree or you surely die, the next thing in scripture is then God puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib, and forms the woman. So Eve may not have heard this directly from God. But she's heard it from Adam. And in a classic thing that we like to do as humans, we will put up more boundaries. We put up further and further boundaries. Just think to the New Testament and the Pharisees. What they did with trying to protect the Sabbath and creating 400 plus rules about how you're going to treat the Sabbath day. They created all of these boundaries that were meant to protect, but made it more difficult to keep because there were more things to break. There was more room to have errors and get that feeling of discouragement when you when you cross a line that you said you were never going to cross. And oh man, oh come on! I I walked I walked more than a Sabbath day's walk. Uh, Forget it. I'm just going to walk four Sabbath days walk, and I'm going to just start doing all of this. And you know what? I don't feel weird because I did that or nothing's happened to me bad. You know what? I'm not going to do the next. And we begin to have boundaries created that we can break more and more easily. Eve has added a boundary. Adam has added a boundary of do not touch the tree. I can just see it. It's like, so God told me, Eve, God told me that we can't eat of this tree. I think we should just stay away. Don't even touch it. Don't go near it. A boundary created and a boundary broken. When we make rules or things more rigid, it sometimes becomes easier and easier to break because things become more difficult to keep. A good illustration of this would be the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington back in the 40s. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. There's a video play. I'll talk about it while this video plays. But in 1940, this bridge cost 16, or not, this bridge cost $6 million to build. Just stop and think about that for a second. Um, $6 million to build this bridge that they built more rigid. They were trying to save money and they essentially what they did was tried to make it more rigid by putting solid sides on it because they were working to fight the one engineering force they knew about gravity. They wanted this bridge to be able to hold massive amounts of weight. And so they created something that could withstand massive amounts of weight. And they did that, you notice, by making a solid sided bridge. And on a 35 mile an hour wind day, this bridge began to rock and shake due to, if you want to know what it is, ask Walt. He, he talked about this this week. I'm um, asked Walt. He knows the engineering of it. His son's an engineer. He'll explain it to you in a second look. 
go, go ask him about the engineering of it. But the bridge is built to be more rigid, but yet can't withstand just a 35-mile-an-hour wind. When we create rules that aren't supplied by God, it is going to cause us to stumble. Because we then are not, are not saying, you know what? God, God knows what, exactly what I need. I will just follow that. Just imagine if Eve wasn't afraid of touching the tree, when she got near it, her, the excitement, and I don't know if this is true because I can only see this from a post-fallen mindset, but I just, I know that thrill of getting close to something you're not supposed to do. And it builds up. And if the serpent handed her a piece of fruit and she said, I'm holding this fruit and I'm not dying, well, maybe something's not right and that trust is broken just a little more. It's shifted. The, an ancient Jewish um, writing uh, commenting on this has this unique story that I don't think is necessarily true, but it's just a unique idea as to the concept behind this. It talks about the serpent coming down and pushing Eve into the tree. So whether she was handed an apple and held the fruit of that tree or was pushed into it, I believe that the first thing that she broke was the fact that she touched something of that tree and didn't die. If she was just following God's commands, she could have said, you know what? I'm not going to eat this. I don't need it. I'll just drop it and leave. When we've created more rigid things, when we've created more boundaries for ourselves than what God has supplied for us, disaster can happen. Anatomy number two. We ignore guidance or we add, we add to it. God's word is meant to be God's word. We're not to take away from it to add to it. We're supposed to trust that God's word is what we need. I wanted to talk a moment about the, the lest you die part. It, it's a lot of modern translations will just say you will die. But it's interesting to note that her even talking about what the consequence would be was lessened because in God's in God's command it was, you will die, die. Very similar to John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The way it's written out is kind of, you will have life, life. You will have life that's living. And here God is saying, you will die, die. You will have death that is destructive. Eve, in responding, is just saying, I shouldn't touch it because I think it would cause me to die there's doubt seeds of doubt trust is shifting again and as we ignore and add to god's command we are setting ourselves up we are beginning to make ourselves the moral authority the problem with the world today is that we have supplanted god as the moral authority we must always remember that god is the moral authority and we just need to trust. 
pushing the limits, ignoring guidance, and being envious. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't touch that button. Don't drive five miles an hour of the speed limit. You're breaking the rules. Don't push the limits. There is something in Eve and in all of us that desires to know more. But note this. Evil will never build us up. Evil always brings us down to its level. And what was the promise? The promise was you will be like God. If you think back to what caused Satan's downfall, Lucifer's downfall in heaven, you can find the story in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 to 16, in a prophecy towards the king of Tyre. It has a dual meaning and is talking about Satan, but talks about how Satan wanted to be like God. He wanted to be promoted. Satan is offering to Eve the thing that he couldn't have in heaven. He is wanting to live vicariously through Eve and say, maybe you can get what I couldn't and that will be awesome for both of us. Or if you can't, I will bring you down with me. Temptation, evil, always promises something great, but leaves out the disastrous results. And Eve is filled with this wonder. Eve is filled with this, I don't know how to explain it very well. I, I think if you were to put it into, you know, if, if the Bible were to be written in today, I think it would be written kind of like this. Eve had a little uh, a FOMO moment. All right. Eve was having a FOMO moment. For those of us, or you, um, took me a while to figure out what this meant. This is the slick way today to say fear of missing out. And it is a thing. It is a thing. I read countless articles um, in regards to youth ministry and stuff like that that talk about FOMO, the fear of missing out. It drives, it drives our society. Why do I have the next newest thing when I have something that works just fine is because I'm, I have FOMO. I fear missing out on the next new thing. And I want that new iPhone because instead of just taking a selfie, I can now take a slow-mo selfie. A slofie, which if you've seen those commercials, disturbing. Okay, just not going to lie. It's disturbing, especially the dude in the sprinklers. Oh, man. If you haven't seen that one, it's disturbing. But anyway, I digress. Eve was having a case of a fear of missing out. She wanted something more. She wanted to be like God. Now, here is the crux of her shift in trust. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of his fruits, of its fruits, and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Last week, what was the word du jour? Tov, that's right. Notice that Eve sees that the tree was good. The tree was tov. Now, in creation, when God was looking at the days, he was seeing that the days were good and pronouncing them good. Here, Eve is supplanting God's authority, and she is now pronouncing good things that God has pronounced evil. Her shift in trust has become to put trust in what a created creature is apparently saying to her. One of God's creation is now saying to her, we can be like God, and she pronounces that this tree is good. The second thing she pronounces that tree as, that I don't have up here, um, was that it was pleasing to the eye. Just a quick side note. Um, she essentially said it was eye, eye candy, I mean, kind of a thing. You know, it was something that was like super attractive. was like, oh, that's a good-looking tree. The fruit is good. I'm going to follow my eyes. You will notice that we have nowhere in society anything that I know of called ear candy. When we listen to the word of God, we are less apt to be deceived. The eye can lead us away. The lust of the eye can lead us away. There's no lust of the ears. Listening to God's word, trusting, again, is the antidote when temptation hits. She also talks about the, the third thing she says of the tree is that it's desirable. This, this word is the same word that is found in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, verse 17, the last commandment. Do not covet. So in this moment, Eve is losing trust. She has supplanted God and saying, I will now pronounce what is good, and I will covet things that I want. I will get things that I don't have, and I want them. This was what led to the fall. Trust shifted from God to self. Remember, trust is the antidote. Recall that verse in Proverbs, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Where did Eve lean on her own understanding? Where do we lean on our own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledge him. I will pronounce things that are good that are not. I am not acknowledging God, and he will direct your paths. He will keep us from pushing the limits. That is the anatomy of the fall. But that is... But as is said at Grace Point, 
the next day. The next day. Or later that day. The next day, God comes into the garden. That evening, God comes into the garden and searches out this couple, one who has been deceived and one who has willingly just said, I'm coming with you. God comes into the garden searching for his beloved creation. He comes in searching for his fallen children. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3 says, Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. In that moment, the next day when God is coming to meet them again, he comes with one last bit of creative power. But on this side of sin, the creative power is not without a cost. Because it costs someone a life to provide the skin for those clothes. But God came and said, don't worry about covering yourselves and certainly don't try to do it yourselves because you did it all wrong. Let me cover you. The next day, that evening, God was in the place with them. God was there making a way. God was there showing them, your path has gone crooked, but let me make your path straight. Let me provide righteousness. Sin demands blood and a sacrifice, but let me show you what's going to happen. I will provide something in place of you to take that sacrifice, and I will cover you. The next day, God was there with them. Later that day, God was there walking in the cool of the evening. lie of the devil that he wants us to believe is that there is no next day. He wants us to believe there is no next day. If you remember, after Eve said, lest you die, Satan comes back and says, no, you will not surely die. He comes back and says, no, no, no. You're not going to die. Tricking deceiving, wanting us to forget what true death is. That separation that Eve and Adam experienced for the rest of their lives, being able to see the garden, walk up to its gate, but not go in to commune with God. The separation is there. There is a next day for us. Do not believe the lie of Satan that when he says there is no next day, you have gone and done the worst, just give up. Don't buy into that because the next day, later that day, 
God will be there. His mercies are new some mornings. No. Are once in a while. They are new every morning. So if you are in a place where you feel like the anatomy of the fall, like the, the trappings of Satan, the temptations are just too much, know that trust is there for you and that there is a next day. Lord, we come to you today broken, fallen. God, help us to trust. Help us to trust that you are there making our path straight. Help us to trust that you will lead us where we are to go. And Lord, give us the faith to move past the past. Help us to live with you today. Lord, you have called us. You have called us out of this. And God, I pray that you will, that we will follow where you have led. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.